Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. America and happy Thursday. A busy, busy overnight for just the news. We broke the story last night that President Trump actually got a grand jury subpoena back in June for the records that the National Archives was seeking for him to return. And it wasn't a hostile situation. It turns out that the president welcomed the subpoena. He allowed three agents and a senior Justice Department official to come to his property. It wasn't a requirement of subpoena. He allowed him to tour it. He allowed him to even go see the storage locker where he kept his White House materials and told them, hey, if you need anything, let me know. This is from six different sources on all sides of this story. It happened. And it now raises a very serious question. If the president was willing to allow that to happen, if he signaled, come back if you need anything more, if he complied with the grand jury subpoena two months ago, Why did the FBI come back without further communication and raid the joint? Come in and do it in a hostile manner with 20, 30 agents. Again, it was search warrant approved by a court. The second question is, did the judge who approved the search warrant, by the way, he approved it last Friday, then the FBI waited three days to serve it. That's weird, isn't it? If it's so urgent, important that they got to search the former president's property, why wait three days? But that question aside... Let's tackle the third one. Did the magistrate, Judge Reinhardt, who signed this, did he know that the president had extended an offer, had given a voluntary tour, that the FBI agents had been in the locker they were going to raid? We don't know that answer, but we're going to find out about it. I guarantee you. I'm going to keep digging. And then finally, the third question. Again, another very important question. The judge himself. Before he became a judge in 2018, the magistrate, Reinhardt, Bruce Reinhardt, in 2017, social post to Facebook questioning President Trump's moral character, expressing a bias against someone he then signed a search warrant for. But that's not the only thing. All right. So he said it before he's a lawyer, or when he was a lawyer, before he was a judge. Still, it is a historical expression of bias against the thing. It does seem to kick the statute in that judges have to follow. But then in June of this year, after President Trump sued Hillary Clinton over the Russia collusion caper, accused her of RICO, of working together with many people to defame him inappropriately. He then recused himself from the lawsuit saying, I can't be impartial in a lawsuit in which Donald Trump 
is suing Hillary Clinton. We don't know the specific impartiality he was worried about, but all of that predates his decision to put the signature on the search warrant. Expression of bias against the president, whose home he just authorized the search, and a claim that in a lawsuit the president brought, he couldn't be impartial, maybe because of someone in the case. Still, two big things. We broke both of those yesterday. The New York Times just matched them. The Wall Street Journal just matched them. We're beginning to make some pretty extraordinary opportunity, getting the mainstream media to do their job and come up with the facts that fill in the timeline. That's what we're doing. All right, folks, we got a perfect show for you. Up first today, our good friend Cash Patel. He and I are going to talk about what we learned in the last 24 hour, what to make of the FBI. Then after that, we're going to have a little bit of fun. You know, I'm a big Second Amendment fan. I believe in responsible gun ownership, training, safety, constantly reminding and building muscle memory on your firearm. A good friend of mine, Leah Thomas, is joining the Southeastern Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. They have some amazing training courses Get get to them for as little as $12. What a deal. You can build that muscle memo. Remind yourself of all of the training, safety, storage requirements that will make you a lifelong great firearms owner. They're one of our partners on the show. Leah is going to talk to us about what you can do to become a safer, more skilled firearm owner. That's something that anyone who has a gun should want. Protecting your kids, protecting your home. We're going to cover all that with Leah Thomas, a great military veteran. You're going to love her. She's a lot of fun. And then we'll wrap things up for the day. So what a good show. Back to back to back. Let's start off with Cash Patel right after this. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. 
All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Excited to have this next guest back on. Every time he comes on, he makes sense of the impossibly complicated. Things in Washington aren't as complicated after you listen to Cash Patel. He's joining us again, former chief of staff to the Pentagon, former national security advisor to the president. And of course, when he was the chief investigative counsel for House Intelligence Committee under Congressman Devin Nunes, the man who helped unravel the Russia collusion caper. Cash, great to have you back on in such an amazing moment in American history, I'd say. Yeah, John, it's great to be back with you and tremendous job distilling it last night on Hannity's program. I haven't heard a succinct explanation of what America is going through and what Donald Trump is going through right now. It's just amazing. It's almost unthinkable to see what is going on here. When you look at this moment right now, you have a president who got a grand jury subpoena that we didn't know about, then for quite some time was cooperating, signaling his cooperation. When they came to pick up the documents that they were giving under the subpoena, he said, look around, have at it. If you need anything, let me know. We want to help. And then weeks pass, and then boom, the 30 FBI agents come in in a hostile manner when, in fact, all the cooperation up to that point would seem to suggest that if there were other things the president needed to turn over, he was willing to do it. He had nothing to hide. Your thought about the way the FBI and the prosecutors acted in this case, your former federal prosecutor, former federal public defender, what do you see in the behavior of the prosecutors here? It is a repeat of not just, and I don't want to just focus on the prosecutors, John. You know you can't do this without FBI agents. And um, I want to focus on both of them. And I would like to know which prosecutors and which agents are involved. And I bet you dollars for donuts it's some of the same people that were involved in the Russiagate hoax and the Hillary Clinton email investigation in the Jan 6 stuff and the Hunter Biden laptop stuff. There is no coincidence in government that these people keep getting high-profile cases and promotions like Tybalt and Alton and all these guys until we and you do the work to investigate them, and then they are, quote-unquote, transferred to human resources. So I think this is egregious conduct as a former national security prosecutor. When you have a cooperating party, um, and then to go dark for months, and, and let's not forget Donald Trump, you know, by media reporting, um, invited them in and said, what do you guys need? And I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then the, and then the FBI said, we need a stronger lock you know, on the safe and the Secret Service complied and put one on there. And, you know, when you juxtaposition this behavior with the likes of every other president, Obama, Bush, who has tens of thousands of documents that they have not released a single one and cited the Presidential Records Act, some of many of which are classified, they're not getting their houses broken into. It's a two-tier system of justice that continues uh, to be highlighted by targeting President Trump. Wow. Amazing. It's just amazing to think that we're in this moment. I think there was even, from what I've been told, is that this was so cordial before it turned to this hostile search that there was a thank you letter. Hey, thanks for doing what we asked. And and it just makes you wonder what makes them flip. And it does seem that there were supposed to be procedures put in place by Christopher Wray after all that you and Devin Nunes and the other great members of Congress did to expose the failures of targeting a presidential candidate in the middle of election season, that when they had a specially sensitive political figure like President Trump or anyone running for office or likely to run for office, that they would follow these rules to make sure politics was involved, that appearances weren't involved, that all other means had been exhausted. What does that look like when you compare what happened here? Does it look like they really followed the spirit or letter of those new rules? No. I mean, it, it looks like they followed the spirit of the letter of the rules as they make them up as they apply to Donald Trump. There's a set of rules for him and a set of rules for everybody else. 
And, you know, you saw that on full display with the Michael Sussman prosecution, where you have a special counsel who followed the letter of the law and the facts, and maybe too well. And you saw a D.C. jury come up, you know, um, you know, with the wrong verdict. But at least what John Durham can say is I did what the facts and the law demand, what the Justice Department requires. They can't say that here. They, they cannot and will not be able to say that here. And I hope our friends in Congress come November get the documents out immediately because there's a wave of underlying documents to get to this search warrant, to get to this position. Who signed? You know this. You put out all the Russiagate stuff. Who signed what? Which agents? What are their biases? And oh, by the way, why did we take it to the most biased magistrate judge in the district? There's 20 plus other magistrates in that district. They knew he was on rotation then. They knew he hates Donald Trump. And they knew he withdrew, he recused himself from Trump's RICO case that Donald Trump filed um, in civil court in uh, the Southern District of Florida. How can he possibly be on this one? It's just the, it's just the hypocrisy that ticks off America. And look, I think that's why you've seen so much outrage, John, in America. People have, you know, if they didn't have it with Russiagate and Impeachment One and Jan 6, they have had it now. Yeah, it is an extraordinary moment. Now let's get into some of the issues that most average Americans probably don't even think about. But the president probably did have classified documents in his possession, if you believe what's been said publicly, what the National Archives said. But the president also could have declassified those documents verbally, right? and took possession of them after a declassification order. It doesn't have to be done on paper, my understanding is, under the law. Has anyone explored whether the documents that got turned over the archives or that, you know, been turned over in the subpoena or in the search, that those could have been declassified by virtue of the president's being the ultimate declassifying authority for his own documents? I mean, I don't even know that anyone needs to explore it. I know that, John, you and I have been on a mission um, um, as the president's representative to the National Archives to try to get information out that the president did, did, did declassify. And look, the president, by law, is the ultimate arbiter as a classification authority. If he says it, it's declassified. He doesn't need to go through the bureaucratic rigmarole um, to be written down in appropriate style. That's not what the Constitution says. And so when these rubes get in the way because they say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so didn't sign the letter and White House counsel didn't do this. That's a farce. And not only did the president do it by, by writing in October of 2020, he did it um, verbally, at least uh, uh, to the best of my recollection, multiple times in the White House, whole sets of documents. And it's not incumbent upon him to determine what the GSA packed up and sent to Mar-a-Lago. It's incumbent upon the government and its Justice Department to figure it out. Because it's now been reported that the GSA did the, it's not like President Trump sat around there and packed up documents and said, okay, this is coming with me and this isn't. The GSA admitted they did that. And that's the Government Services Administration. So this, this DOJ and FBI, as our buddy Andrew Cuomo said, <laughs> better have a darn good reason for doing this. Otherwise, you just handed Trump 2024. And I think they overestimated their political acumen and um, they underestimated the American people's will uh, to live in a constitutional republic. Yeah, it's pretty really remarkable to see where we are in the debate, too. And the amazing poll that occurred actually was taken just before the raid on the president's compound in Mar-a-Lago, but it seems to really show the long-term effect of these revelations about the FBI misconduct in Russia and Michigan with the cases there. Eight in 10 Americans, eight in 10 Americans in a Trafalgar poll in late July say 
yes, we're absolutely certain America has a dual system of justice, that people are not treated blindly. and They are treated differently based on who they are and their political stature. How damning is that for a country where the rule of law is key to the constitutional republic? It obliterates um, a country that stood on the facets of the rule of law as we have. It's why we left the British Empire to have our own system of justice like none other in the world. And John, as a guy who's gone out around the world and prosecuted terrorists, not just in America, but overseas, I am uh, terrified to say the following, but it is proven true. Due process is in shambles in America and is being upheld in third world countries and banana republics to a higher standard than it is in America. And that was never, never supposed to happen according to our forefathers. But because you have Chris Ray and Merrick Garland and their government thugs running roughshod over the Constitution. That is exactly what's happening in 2022 in America. So if they can't figure that out, um, they need to be removed from office. And my belief is they will be, but they need to be held accountable. And Kevin McCarthy and, and his guys better come in and stay true to their word and subpoena them, their documents, and hold them in contempt and kick these guys off committees like Schiff and Swalwell, just like they did to us. They set the rules basis down. We need to execute it. Yeah, it's really remarkable to think, you know, we heard a lot after Russia. First, it took a long time for the FBI and Chris Ray to acknowledge anything went wrong. Then, you know, after the IG report, after the FISA court whacked him hard, Chris Ray started to give some ground. And he kept saying, listen, I got new procedures and we, we have procedures. It's going to protect us in the future. We're not going to be going after it. We're not going to create the appearance we're going after a political enemy. And then, boom, this happens are those procedures useless? Were they followed here? What's your guess about how we got from, we're going to make sure we don't target someone 90 days before an election to, oh, we just raided the president, so. No, this guy is a bureaucrat. Chris Ray is a bureaucratic rube through and through. The procedures he's talking about take five years to fire FBI agents who broke the law. I've sat in a room with Devin Nunes, with Chris Ray, when we were investigating Russiagate, and this guy was completely out to lunch. He would not face the fact that FBI leadership, and before his time, broke the law. Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Auten, and all these guys, and acted unethically. And then when we proved it to him with the FBI's own docs, what does he say? Oh, we, we, we are putting procedures in place because the DOJ Inspector General validated our entire investigation. And now he's referring people to OPR as if that's going to do anything. That's not accountability. That is bureaucratic nonsense. And it is the ultimate failure of your oath of office, especially when you're supposed to be the number one law enforcement officer in the country. You are failing at every, every turn. And America's sick of it. I mean, I'm sick of it. I can't believe I'm calling out the FBI and DOJ, my two former stomping grounds, in the fashion that I am. And I was the last one. I was the last holdout. I told them, I said, we could do it, we could do it, we could do it. Now we need a wholesale change. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Listen, you're a guy that believes in law enforcement. You're a guy that believes in the rule of law. You generally want to believe that the guys in government here that do this are doing this to protect the country, do good things. There just seems to be so much unrest right now, even inside the FBI. You see the whistleblowers that Chuck Grassi's brought forward, Jim Jordan's brought forward. We put a whole list of all the different whistleblower allegations that surfaced in the three weeks before this raid occurred, and you hear about partisanship, political thing, political bias, tampering, trying to launch an investigation of Trump that wasn't warranted, trying to stop an investigation of Hunter Biden that was warranted. It seems like there is a cry from within these agencies that something is wrong or sick. 
What do you make of all these whistleblower complaints and the fact that they occurred just before this raid? I think there's no such thing as coincidences in government. And John, I know you've been around and done such tremendous work. You probably believe the same thing. And it's not a coincidence that President Biden takes his son Hunter aboard Air Force One with his family and flies away in the government taxpayer dime for vacation while they run down Mar-a-Lago and President Trump's home. These aren't coincidences. These optics are the ones they want, the radical left and the mainstream media they want to carry. They don't want to talk about Hunter Biden's home never being raided, even though this guy, it's been proven now on his own evidence from his laptop of a half a dozen federal offenses ranging from unlawful possession of firearms to narcotic substance possession to possibly in, uh, crimes involving under, underage children. You would think the FBI would maybe conduct a search warrant too on this guy, but nope, it's just a two-tier system of justice in America on full display. If you're on with Donald Trump, we make it up as we go. If you're on with um, uh, Hunter Biden and the left-wing radicals and Jan 6, well, we will do whatever you want. Um, the rules and the law of, of the world be damned. Yeah, really, really remarkable. I went back and looked at the executive order that still seems to be the prevailing one. It's the one that actually George W. Bush signed on March 25th, 2003. And it's, it's, basic, it's called the Basic Laws and Authorities of classification related to presidential papers. It's a really significant one. And I want to go to one sentence that a lot of people I don't think are aware of. It talks about when you're going to declassify something, the procedures, and it has a mandatory declassification review, meaning somebody wants to declassify it. And it says, except as provided in paragraph A of the section, all information classified under an order, meaning this order, or predecessors are shall be subject to a review for a declassification by the originating agency, okay? So that means on a normal basis, anyone who wants to go has to go back to the agencies whose intelligence equity is involved in the classification. And then it says one very important thing. And I think that's why this is the only exemption to this is that the office of the executive office of the president and those who assist it are exempt from that requiring, meaning the president on his own or her own can do this without any uh, Then I want to read it. What Just read the people to hear what it is. Entities within the executive office of the president that solely advise and assist the incumbent president is exempted from the provisions of paragraph A, meaning the requirement to go through a declassification review. So the president can do it on his own, no rules, nothing. He can do it. What do you know? And you, you see around the president, you help him on different things. Do you have reason to believe that many or most of the documents in the president's possession at issue here have been declassified or the president believe he had declassified them? I think the facts we've outlined show that for the most, if not entirely, they've been declassified. And even if they weren't pursuant to the President's Records Act, he has the right to hold them. And as you astutely, uh, nobody in the media is talking about this, uh, pointed out this, this, this fiction that President Trump can somehow be removed from holding public office because he violated a, a statute um, is a total fiction. And you know who's pushing this, John? The same guy that conjured up the entire Russia Gate hoax and got paid. Mark Elias. Why is it no surprise that Mark Elias comes out and lies to the American public and says, hey, look, everybody, even if he didn't have classified information, we could still keep him from becoming a president again because the statute does not apply to the office of the presidency. The Constitution does. And oh, by the way, why doesn't someone ask Mark Elias why Hillary Clinton was given a hall pass based on the same statute? Because even conservative Republicans stood up back then and said, that is not a sufficient ground to ban her 
from holding public office, convicting her as a felon for mishandling classified information would have been. But it's the two-tier system of justice again. And who's pushing it? The same guy that pushed Russiagate, the same guy that got paid to push Alpha Bank server narratives, the same guy, Mark Elias, who's been named as a, as a criminal co-conspirator by John Durham um, in his pleadings during the special counsel prosecutions or joint venture conspiracy. And it's Mark Elias. And of course, these people know no bounds. They continue to make millions off the DNC fake news disinformation machine and put out falsities. And I'm so glad you're out there correcting the record. Almost no one's talking about this. Well, we were really lucky. We had the day that came out, we had the great Harvard law professor, by the way, someone who voted for Joe Biden, Alan Dershowitz came on and said, that's just simply not true. I've studied the Constitution for 60 years. There is no provision to disqualify the president, except in the cases he outlined. In impeachment, you can potentially be disqualified for future office if the verdict includes that as the penalty. Otherwise, if you're not foreign-born, if you're not 34 or younger, you get to serve. And, and it's pretty remarkable to see uh, the disinformation that has been put out there by, and the media to eat it up for a long time. But they know the great thing about it is we know the motive of the people pushing these investigations now. They're trying to create nullification. They're saying it overtly. They're not trying to hide it. For the first time, they're saying, we're trying to nullify having to run against Donald Trump ever again. And I think that's something that's so important to keep in mind. We have a picture now. We know why people are upset. There's a lot of questions about the dispute. I want to go to the judge in this case, this magistrate, who was on the wheel that day, the day they come in. First off, is it rare for the FBI to get a search warrant on a Friday and then wait to Monday to go execute it? No. I, I mean, is it rare? Yes. I don't know, understand. When we go against search warrants, it's because we want to execute them. That's the whole point. I wonder, John, and maybe you can figure this out, what judge was going to be on the wheel come Monday morning? There's an old trick called job chopping. I know everyone says they don't do it, but then everyone knows privately they do do it. Now, let's take a look at this guy. He is not a Senate-confirmed judge. Magistrates get appointed by the local judges, so they don't go through the vetting process that normal federal judges, appellate judges, and Supreme Court justices do. They get an eight-year tenure. It's not a lifetime appointment. And the year before this man, Judge Reinhardt, goes on the bench, he puts out a Facebook post in which he questions the moral a character of President Trump saying he's not nearly as moral as John Lewis, the great civil rights Democratic leader and congressman who passed away recently. Should that, if you're a defense lawyer or if you were a prosecutor, you knew a judge had expressed bias against the person who about he was making a decision, is that a disqualifiable offense based on what you learned in law school? Yes. And, and, the, and listen, the, the judicial canons of ethics that govern federal magistrates, including federal district court judges, is the same. The whole purpose of a neutral arbiter of the facts and the law is so the public has confidence in their judiciary. And it's not if you have an actual conflict of interest that you use. It is if there's a impropriety or the appearance of a conflict of interest, whereas the American public will lose faith in your judicial making decisions, you recuse. And it's not like there wasn't another guy hanging around. There's 20 plus other down there. It would be so easy to kick. It would be so easy to kick this to another judge. Say, listen, let's not take the risk. I said something bad about President Trump. Let someone else make the decision. Right. And I'll take, you know, and John, I would love to find out, and you can too, who the magistrate judge was on Monday. Because as you brilliantly brought up, they took this in Friday. I bet you dollars for donuts is a different magistrate judge on that following Monday because I was used to practice law in the Southern District of Florida and the wheel changes every week unless they've done something differently. So they knew they were running out of time, and they went to the one guy who hates Trump, recused himself, 
It's like the steel dossier all over again. Let's get a let's get a source who hates the target of the investigation and present them with falsely and false information, and then grease the wheels with the judiciary and goose a search warrant through. No different. No, it's pretty extraordinary. Let's step back for a second. I want to take a look at something else in this process that I find really interesting. Six weeks before. Judge Reinhardt signs the search warrant on Friday, August 5th, that that governs what happened that Monday. He was presiding for a few weeks over the case of Trump v. Clinton. This is the lawsuit that President Trump filed in Florida earlier this year, accusing Hillary Clinton and a host of Democrats, oh, by the way, including people around Mark Elias, that they engaged in a racketeering scheme to falsely portray him as having collusion or conspiracy with Russia when he didn't during the 2016 election. So when we look at that, that case, he provides over for a couple of weeks, and then he, on June 22nd, six weeks approximately from when he uh, signs the search warrant, he signs a recuse order saying, I recusing myself from any further role in this case. And then he cites the statute that says, I don't think I can be impartial in the case. So he doesn't be any more specific. It could be he knew one of the defendants, one of the witnesses. It could be because of what he said about Donald Trump. But when you recuse yourself six weeks ago saying, I can't be impartial in a lawsuit brought by Donald Trump against Hillary Clinton, does that add to the burden that maybe he should have stepped aside in the August search warrant uh, signature? A hundred percent. It ignores to the um, side upon which you should always come down, which is err on the side of caution when you're a judicial magistrate deciding massively important national cases. And it, it, it looks like he just wanted to hog the attention and make sure this search warrant got through. Because look, whether or not he recused because he knew the pre- he disliked the president or he knew one of the defendants or the, and worked with them, that's the same as why he should have recused in this case. It's the same thing. And uh, for him to say, okay, not on that one, but on this one, I gotta get this guy's house raided. So let me go ahead and at least do that because I know it's hard to challenge a search warrant and it is. Um, be up to the district court, but let me at least get it through because once I sign it, the only way they can ch- challenge it is the four corners of the search warrant. Um, and if you only include part of the information, well, we got to dig hard for what the rest of the information is, what they what they withheld from the federal judge, like they withheld from the FISA court. And let's see what we find out and what agents were underlying this thing. And did they withhold any exculpatory information? Did they hold, withhold any information beneficial to the target, Donald Trump? I bet you they did. The moment we're in now is much like we were at the beginning of Russia collusion. There's so many more facts we need to find out. But one of those that I think we have a pattern of conduct is that one of the ways the FBI has gotten search warrants through corruptly in the past often isn't by misstating the evidence against the thing. It's by omitting things that would affect the judge's judgment. The biggest problems with the FISA warrants, obviously there were factual ones, were the omissions that they had an obligation to tell the presiding judge, hey, you need to know this. This goes against our theory. At least you should know about it before we sign the warrant. That's what we found in Russia collusion. Obviously, there also was manufacturing of evidence. That's a more serious thing. Could it be that the big issue we're going to find out here is that it's what the FBI didn't tell the judge that may have influenced this decision to sign this document? Yes, and I think the, one of the only ways we're going to find out is through the great work of yourself and Judicial Watch, who now filed not only the FOIAs related to the National Archives, but who took to court to unseal the search warrant, and uh, this judge has demanded the DOJ respond by Monday. And I think that's step one. And then we have to get Congress to subpoena 
the underlying documents that buttress the search warrant, the affidavit, along with any FBI 302s, which I'm sure were created in this quote-unquote investigation of a former president, and put it out there for the world to see. If they screwed up, which is probably likely given their track record because of political bias and headhunting instead of law and fact, uh, there needs to be a massive, already does, but there would be even need to be a quicker massive wholesale flopping out of not just personnel at the FBI, but a redistribution on how and why it's based in Washington, D.C., and returning law enforcement agents to the field to do field work, which is what they're supposed to do. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. I want to read you a statute I'm sure you read a million times because you're an accomplished lawyer. 28 U.S. Code 144, bias or prejudice of a judge. I'm going to read you the statute. Whenever a party to any proceeding in a district court makes and files a timely and sufficient affidavit that the judge before whom the matter is pending has a personal bias or prejudice, either against him or in favor of an adverse party, such a judge shall immediately proceed no further therein, and another judge shall be assigned to hear such proceeding. Should the President of the United States, based on the Facebook post of 2017 of this judge, go into the court today and say, Your Honor, I'm filing this affidavit. You said this about me. You just authorized an invasive search of my home. You must step aside. Should the President do that? It's something he should definitely consider with his legal team. And uh, I'm sure that they are and make a decision based after reviewing the search warrants and if and when they arrive and are received and then calculate a way forward that um, not only helps to exonerate President Trump, but also at the same time shows the American people what happened. And there's a couple of different ways to do that. And there's a lot smarter lawyers than me who know how to make that stuff happen. But it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. So some of the options, I guess, one would be to challenge the bias of this judge because it's sitting out and open now. And he's obviously claimed he had some impartiality issue in an earlier case involving President Trump, even if the impartiality wasn't Trump himself. There's a history there. Another thing could be a show cause, right? Go to court and say, Your Honor, we don't think you were told the whole story about this. We want you to show cause and force the government to tell you what they may not have told you before as a show cause order, something that we might see in the near future. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, magistrate judges report to the district court judges who are the ultimate deciders. So you can always appeal these decisions immediately there. So that's another option. Um, before you bring a show cause order, you can appeal the decision to the magistrate and appeal the decision if you should should so, should so decide to file a, uh, a request for recusal that can be reviewed by the district court judge as well. So there's a myriad of options, but you got to get the right guys and gals in the room uh, with the legal acumen to deal with this stuff. Yeah, these are technical subjects, and there's sometimes they're very narrow experts in each of them, right? A, a second question that seems remarkable to me is this raid could have collected a lot of things that aren't really relevant. They might have looked like a box of documents, but they might have been the president's political plan for going into the fall election and supporting candidates. Is there a moment where the judge goes in and asks the court to segregate and keep from the government things that clearly aren't in the narrow scope of the search warrant? What I was able to determine last night, this search warrant involves two legal issues. One is theft under the Presidential Records Act, according to the sources I have in government and outside government. The second is protection of classified information, the Classified Information Protection Act sort of suite of statutes. If things aren't falling into those two categories, and they might involve politics, and they were just found in boxes that matched the description. Because the president still has executive privilege, he has attorney-client privilege. 
Should there be some effort to segregate the materials and protect things that really aren't responsive to the search warrant? This is what a special master is for. And this is what the, you know, the lawyers need to decide if it's the, if it's the best way forward uh, when the right ones are in place uh, to say that's exactly what a special master decides. And the 11th Circuit case law where, the, where this district resides is favorable to um, having special masters call through information, documents, et cetera, to see if they're actually responsive to the crimes alleged in the search warrant. And if they're not, then they can be immediately uh, pulled back out and returned to the target party. But, you know, you need to get there first. And, um, you know, we'll see if that's the decision-making process um, that unravels here in the next, you know, few days, week or so. But it is an option for either defense or government to um, to bring forth and uh, probably should be considered. Yeah, it is in a remarkable moment in decision-making. The decisions that the president makes, the decision that this judge makes, the decision that the FBI has already made are going to really go towards whether the country accepts what happened here or rejects it in a way that we haven't seen the FBI be rejected many times in our history. You've always been an advocate for trying to reform the FBI. It has a lot of good people in it. You worked with many of them as you made cases as a prosecutor. It seems that the problems with the FBI are not necessarily the rank and file men and women that do the daily job, but the philosophy and comfort level that it now appears that senior FBI executives have in expressing political bias or bringing their political biases across the threshold of the door and into the office. And two famous examples. We know what Peter Strzok and Lisa Page said, right? Don't worry, we'll stop him. We, the FBI agents, feel okay to say that we can stop Donald Trump from becoming president. Oh, he and all of his smelly Walmart people. Okay, clear expression of bias. We just learned of a new bias in the office that led this raid, Washington Field Office, we were told by Chuck Grassi from a whistleblower that the deputy agent in charge, they call him the assistant special agent in charge of the Washington field office, expressed bias in social media posts against the president. When did it become acceptable that FBI agents could bring political biases into their workplace, into their job against the people that they might have be charged with investigating? This seems like a philosophical responsibility shift in the FBI's mindset. Never acceptable. As a national security prosecutor and as national security agents, uh, federal agents for the FBI, you sign on to an, uh, agreements within the Department of Justice, which the FBI is a part of, where you are not to participate in political discourse um, and where you are supposed to be an apolitical officer of the Constitution. And these people, when these agents, and I think the guy's name is Antoine and Tybalt and all these other guys come out there right around Twitter endlessly, um, they should be immediately investigated for violating these agreements and removed pending the results of the investigation in Congress to be hauling them up to the Hill to say how and why is this legal and ethical and how does this not violate your agreement? And, you know, these changes need to happen faster and faster than they are right now, but I don't think that's going to be a reality until at least Congress changes. Yeah. I agree. There has to be enough pressure. And I argue this, it's got to be bipartisan. The fix to this has to be both parties realizing we let this get too far. And right now, the Democrats don't have a political motive to do it. And there aren't any adults in earlier generations of George Mitchell would have stepped up or a Bob Dole would have stepped up and say, this is about country first, not which party is going to win the next election. We got to get bipartisan agreement that the FBI needs to be fixed in the behavior that's there. And it doesn't seem yet like there's a full engagement on this. Do you see any Democrats other than Tulsi Gabbard out there raising concerns about the FBI and, and what's going on? 
No, they're 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 part of the problem because most of these guys used to raise these issues and now none of them are because they've accepted the radical left agenda and that the fact that if they do stand up to it, the, the, the fake news mafia will come after them and they care more about that than anything else. Yeah, such a really good, important point. Cash, this is why we love having you on. You've been in the trenches. You know how it works. You know what the law is. So helpful to have you walk us through this unbelievable moment. People are still numb from what happened Monday. And listen, I'm sure we're going to find out there were some documents with classification marks that the FBI found in this latest search. I wouldn't surprise me at all from my reporting. But the tactic, the methods, and the processes that don't appear to have been followed those are things that go to the heart integrity of our law system. What are you watching for? You're one of the most astute observers I know on these things. What should we be watching for between now and the middle of next week? Um, uh, let's see what the warrant, if it's ever released, shows. Let's see what the underlying documents show. But I don't think we're going to get those answers right away. And um, let's force Capitol Hill to make these guys come up and testify in at least some fashion and start um, holding these people accountable, but it's going to be a longer process than just a week. Uh, we're going to have to go. Uh, we're going to have to go on offense on all, all sites. Yeah, really good point. Well, it's always an honor to have you on. I always understand things a lot better after I have a conversation with you, Cash. Great honor to have you on. Remind people because I know you're also doing. You just helped, I think, Rick Grinnell file a lawsuit the other day against someone who was defaming him. Remind us about what's going on with fight with Cash. Yeah, thanks so much. Fightwithcash.com, fightwithcash with a K.com. It's now a full-on 501c3, John. We're helping not just uh, or, or uh, build legal defense funds. We are raising money for veterans programs, tuition assistance, and summer camps. But at true to form, we built this operation to fund people's lawsuits who have been defamed. And Rick Rennell, uh, we did fightwithcash.com just filed a lawsuit on behalf of Rick Rennell against Olivia Troy for defamation. And somebody should go check out that pleading. It's pretty powerful. And we're not going to stop. We're not, it's not just for people who served in government. It's for everyday Americans. So we're going to keep at it with fightwithcash.com. And you can find me on Truth Social at Cash. It's the only place I exist. And um, you know what? It's a good time to talk about plots against the king. So everyone can pick up a copy <laughs> yeah. of my book. That's the right. Plot Russiagate for kids and adults, number one bestseller. If Thanks, you so. have a kid whose birthday's coming up or you want to get an early jump on Christmas or, hey, maybe something fun for Halloween, give them a book instead of candy. Cash's book has just been a rocking bestseller. Parents all over the country embracing being able to tell the bigger story of ethics behind the Russia collusion case to a whole new young generation of Americans. Congratulations on that book, everybody. I see even the president liked it. He was out there with a copy of the book and a photo. That was pretty cool to see. Cash, thanks a ton for all you do. And we're going to get you back on the next couple of weeks. You're going to be turbulent. Can't wait to learn what else we're going to have to find out and debate in the next few weeks. Thanks so much, John. Have a great day. You as well, my friend. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. 
You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.US slash Just News. That's AMAC.US forward slash Just News. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Everybody on the show knows I love being a firearms owner, a responsible firearms owner. That requires safety, practice, all the things that you would do in any other thing where responsibility is the number one thing. We have a great partner here at Just the News at John Solomon Reports, the Southeastern Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. They are doing some amazing work to help people build muscle memory, the best safety skills when it comes to firearm and firearms training. And right now, joining me from that great group is Leah Thomas. Leah, great to have you on the show today. John, thank you so much for having me. I love your show, and we're excited to talk a little bit about um, firearm fundamentals with you. Yeah, this is such a great issue, and we have a lot of great listeners, and they care about this, and they know that responsibility comes with being a Second Amendment advocate. Tell us first off a little bit about the Southeastern Association for Fish and Wildlife Agencies. What do you guys do? What's your mission, and how does it intersect with great firearms owners? Well, I mean, the mission is pretty broad scope, Um, everything from wildlife conservation to hunter education, um, fishery work, uh, all of the uh, having safe range, ranges and um, accessible ranges for uh, folks out there. And a lot of our funding um, comes from uh, grant dollars and um, also Pittman-Robinson dollars. So we really are just here to try to protect the environment while we create um, great recreational spaces 
and safe recreational spaces for Americans. That is so great. You had me at fishing and firearms. I'm in now. Yeah, that's why that's my life uh, when I'm not uh, when I'm not writing stories or doing the show. You have this extraordinary training regimen. In fact, I'm taking one this weekend. I love to do firearms training about every six months. So I'm going to be taking one of your courses over the weekend. Talk a little bit about the online courses, in-person training that you guys provide and how it makes for a better firearm owner. Yeah, um, actually our courses are put together by the International Hunter Education Association. Um, they, identi- they identified that a lot of people taking hunter education were taking hunter education for firearms training. And so we uh, adopted their firearm fundamentals course because we are um, convinced in, um, in, the, in, in the southeastern states that they, we need to have safe firearms owners as well. Um, and it, it just, it, it gives us the opportunity not only to create safe and responsible gun owners, but also introduce them to other things that we can offer in our states, um, like teach them where their ranges are, or maybe get them thinking, maybe I should take up hunter education, or maybe I want to shoot trap, or any of, the, any of those kinds of wonderful recreational things that can come from being a firearms owner. Yeah, it is such an important part of being a gun owner and having a family with guns in the house, having that constant training is so valuable. You know, we get busy, we forget things, and that muscle memory just needs to be practiced. And I know my dad was in law enforcement for 46 years, and every year, twice a year, the whole family learned all the things about how to be safe, don't leave ammunition out, here's how you lock the guns up, and it drilled into us, hey, this is just part of life. You just do it, you get better at it, and those courses just hit that muscle memory a lot. There's a lot going on in Washington with gun legislation, a lot going on in states with gun legislation. Are we moving towards an era where many governments, maybe at the state, local level or federal level, are going to require some form of firearms training for new firearm owners? Boy, John, it sure feels that way. I mean, all the conversations that we're having with legislators and the things that we're seeing coming downstream from Capitol Hill um, point towards um, potentially getting a, a ground base in when you buy a gun, like, let's not just go buy a gun, let's buy a gun and understand what's happening because we have people coming into our ranges and they'll have bought a gun and ammunition and they come into the range and they just stand there with the box in their hand and they say, what's next? And it's alarming. Uh, yeah, we have that to is alarming. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, and it's unfortunate. It's, it's weird in, in some ways to me because I'm like you, I've been in, I was in the military and I've been a hunter all my life and a firearms owner and been in the firearms industry and it thinks that people are so compelled to go buy a gun but not even have the basics of what comes next is stunning. And so we really want to address that and help people get to a place where they can have a comfort level and be prepared to go to the range and actually practice with their firearm in a safe manner. Yeah, there's nothing like that. You can watch a video, you can, but getting and practicing and having someone who knows every aspect of your firearm walk you through it, it just gives you a comfort level and a responsibility level that you can't achieve otherwise. It's, it is amazing. You're right. I was not too long ago, I was in a sports store. There were people that were there, I think, to buy a, a long arm. And you could tell that they hadn't really thought through after they buy this, what's next? And I think that getting ahead of it is such a great idea. As part of your training, walk through some of the things a new firearm owner or a veteran firearm owner is going to get when they go through the training course. 
Our course is really thorough, John. It's got about nine units in it. We're teaching everything from the basics of safe firearms handling um, to things like understanding how far bullets fly so you can choose calibers, uh, basic things like making sure your bullet caliber matches your firearm and how you can learn that if you don't know. We teach safety in the home, uh, different locking devices, um, what the responsibilities are of having a firearm in the home. We teach a lot about uh, safety equipment, hearing protection, eye protection, even, I mean, you probably know people that have been shooting for a long time and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, hearing protection wasn't nearly a big deal like it is now. And so I know a lot of firearms owners that are 50 years older that are deaf. And so we really want to make sure that people understand the decibel levels that these these guns produce. We also teach cleaning and firearm care, and we teach range etiquette, uh, which is a big one. I think I think so many times when you go to the range, you're totally unprepared if you have never been taught what to expect. And the lingo that we use on the range can be confusing. And it's just easier to have a little block on going to the range before you go to the range if you haven't been. You don't want to go cold. No, because it's an entirely different experience. Like, what are they talking about? What's that? It's great to have all of that comfort level before you, you go out and shoot the first time. It's really, really remarkable. And about hearing safety, my dad is 80 now, barely can hear. And, you know, he had to go every six months and qualify when he was a law enforcement officer. He did it for 46 years. And he says, man, I wish I knew in my 20s what I learned in my 50s, which is wear the air protection. And I think that's man, just getting that message out there is so important. And it's great to hear that that's in the training. I want to tackle something that a lot of people probably don't know, but there is a very important law, Title IV of H.R. 7910, is the Protecting Our Kids Act. And it calls for safe storage by gun owners if the owners know that a minor could gain access. Tell us a little bit about how the firearm fundamental training you're doing really sensitizes people to have that instinct, have the right assets available to you so that you're always in a safe environment in your home. Yeah, I think that... um as firearms owners, we sometimes think that it's just okay to have a gun in a drawer somewhere. And especially with with youth around, we want to make sure that we provide a variety of, of ways that you can protect your firearm from being used by a, a child in the home or picked up by a friend or something like that. So we're teaching everything from gun locks to complete safes. But there's there's so many different tools that you can use that are affordable and or expensive to, to safely store firearms. And so we really emphasize the, the accountability and the responsibility that comes with having a gun in your home. And the legality of, we don't talk too much about that because it varies from state to state, but the, lega the legal ramifications that can come if you don't keep your firearm locked up and you knowingly have, have someone in your home that is either in, in, incapable of, um, has been emotionally, uh, has an emotional problem and can't handle a firearm or youth, it's the liabilities that lie on your head and even just in general um, caring are, are more than I think people realize. And we just really emphasize safe storage because it, it just prevents a world of headache if for some, for some reason the worst could happen and someone would take a firearm from your home and use it for a crime or, or something terrible. 
Yeah, my dad had an amazing rule, and I watch him come home every day from work, and he had a rule, I will not take my holster off. He had to carry a gun every day. He's an officer. I won't take my holster even off my belt until I'm at the locker. And he had that. And I remember growing up, I was like, where are you going? I'm not taking my gun off until I go to the locker. And so he always had this thing. He'd never put it down on a table where you might forget or you get a phone call and you're like, oh, I left the gun out. He had this discipline. And I always admired that about him. At first, I was a kid like, boy, he really is regimented. But then I began to realize, boy, what a great philosophy that you're not even going to unholster until you're near the locker and you know that you're putting it in the locker before you get distracted by anything else. And I always admired that about my dad. He had the greatest etiquette about firearms and it just stuck with me my whole life. What are some good ideas for firearm storage in home? Obviously, there's safes, there's locks. What are some of the things that if you're thinking about buying your first gun or you're augmenting your collection, what's some good ideas to plan for in your own home? I mean, there's a lot of really cool things out there now. Um, There's tables that you can have that have locking mechanisms. There's biometric safes that um, can fit in closets um, or under your bed or, um, you know, anything, just anything that you can do to, to put it into some type of a locking mechanism where only you know the combination or your fingerprint is required to get to it is something that we strongly recommend for safe storage. Um, Then if someone does come in, the odds of even them getting into a biometric safe are just not going to happen. They maybe could take the safe and crush it and go through a bunch of trouble for that. But um, there's a lot of different products out there um, that are very affordable. And it doesn't have to be heavy duty. It just needs to be locked. You know, the biggest challenge is um, just getting it to a place where it's hard to get to. Yeah, that's the key thing, that someone who shouldn't stumble onto it can't stumble onto it without a lot of work. It seems to be a great thing. For people who want to learn more about the Southeastern work that you're doing and the foundation you've created, because you have a 501c3, right? This is all driven by donations. How can they get involved with what you guys are doing at the foundation or the agency itself? Um, Well, the IHEA um, is the real catalyst for this course. Uh, We've been blessed to get a a grant to promote it, um, which is why we're talking to you, John. Yeah. Um, But if folks wanted to learn more about firearm safety and handgun safety, shooting, general shooting safety and and hunting safety, they can go to IHEA-USA.org, which is the International Hunter Education Association. We do have a donation um, button on that site. Uh, But what we really want to do is create safe firearms owners and so i just really encourage your audience if they're one thinking about getting a firearm or if they have one and they don't feel like they're 100 percent confident or if they have one and they need a brush up for crying out loud uh, go over to ffcourse.org and the course is only 12 dollars. it's very thorough for 12 dollars. you can choose your discipline so it's either handgun rifle or shotgun oriented And you can take all three courses. You could take a second course for $9 more, but they're very specific to each um, firearm style. For instance, if you took the shotgun course, you'd learn everything from semi-automatics to pump action to break open shotguns. So we try to teach them a lot about the genre of the, I don't know if that's the right word, but the the family of um, gun that they bought and Uh, the different types of uses for it and the considerations that they should think about when they're shooting it. 
Boy, it's such valuable stuff. Even for some, listen, I've been around guns for probably since I was you know, 11, 10, when I was really consciously around it. So it's 40 years, but you realize that it's easy when you get busy, your mind gets cluttered, you can forget little things. And just brushing up every six months or a year, really a great thing. You're, ne- you're never going to fumble when you keep that muscle memory going. And this is a great thing. I'm going to take the course next week, folks. I'm going to tell you what it was like for me going in as an experienced firearm owner, but still wanting to get freshened up. So I'm going to walk everybody through what we did. And I'm just so grateful for what we're able to do in this space. The partnership we have is so amazing. I think folks are just really excited to get engaged in this, Leah. I can't thank you enough. I can't praise enough the mission of Southeastern Association of Fish and Wildlife Agency too. You guys are doing some really great work and we're going to make sure everybody knows about this great training opportunity. John, we sure appreciate it. And we just want, we want safe Americans. We want safe families. We want no accidents, but we want people to really enjoy um, the, the fun that you can have owning a firearm and and recreating with it and um, and then also defending yourself if you have to, God forbid, but we just want safe gun handlers. Yeah, no, there's nothing. That's the greatest trade anyone can make, trade up to safety. That's so important. Leah, thanks for your service to your country, too. I know you served before you joined this agency. What branch of uh, military were you in? I was in the Army, John. Army, God bless you. Well, thanks for that service. And now serving in this capacity, this is a really fun project and i hope a lot of our listeners get involved and engage it's going to be worthwhile and thanks for your time today it's a lot of fun thank you thank you so much and i appreciate everything that you do as well i love what i do i feel like it isn't even a job some days it's that much fun but all right thank you leah we'll see you soon hopefully get you back on real soon awesome john thank you all right folks we're gonna take a quick commercial break when we come back we're gonna wrap things up for the day Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Keep an eye on Just the News. We've got a lot going on, a lot of news breaking. This is going to be a very busy week. We have a lot more facts to be had before we get to the bottom of why the FBI raided it. Did they follow its procedures? Should the judge have even ruled in this case? All the things we talked about with cash, we'll have all that covered for you in the not-so-distant future. More breaking news 24-7 on justthenews.com. All right, folks, that wraps it up. God bless you. God bless this extraordinary country, the United States. And have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded 
January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. 